Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Henry of Boston Manor and we have an absolutely delightful chat and you're going to love it. We talk about some wonderful records. We get to talk about some bands I've not spoken about on this podcast before. So uh, it's a good one. Before we get on with it, a few thank yous. Big thanks at first go to the sponsor of this podcast, the long-serving sponsor of this podcast, Hotel Chocolat. I know that you're all very familiar with who they are. I'm sure you've been in their stores and, and bought their chocolates, which are absolutely divine. I don't need to tell you that. That's a given. But for those of you who don't know, They've got an alcohol range, uh, and it's delicious. That's a shocker, isn't it? Uh, It's Hotel Chocolat and Booze, so of course it's delicious. They do the salted caramel vodka. They do an amazing gin and some gin kind of cocktails. Um, But I really want to get excited about their creamy range because it is amazing. So imagine a super creamy alcoholic drink. And they do an orange one, or they do like a mint one. So mint chocolate, orange chocolate, espresso martini, salted caramel. Oh, my God. Honestly, like whenever I do the um, podcast face-to-face and not remotely, I always plonk a, a little glass of it in front of the guest. And they'll go, oh, what's this? And I'm like, oh, it's the, the Hotel Chocolat. Creamy goodness. And, uh, and they'll have a sip, and then instantly they're like, oh, my God, how good's that? And I'm not just saying that. I'm not just saying that because they're their sponsor. Um, it's amazing. It really, really is. And uh, I can't recommend it enough. Go get yourself a bottle. Uh, get one in for Christmas. And uh, and honestly, it'll blow your socks off. I'm recommending the mint one. That's my favourite. Um, but I know mint chocolate can be a bit divisive. Some people just don't do mint and chocolate. They're all great. Um, and so, yeah, go get stuck in. Um, so, yeah, huge thanks to Hotel Chocolat for uh, for being the sponsor of Off the Beat and Track podcast. Big thanks to Scroobius Pip. Um, he's uh, he, he's a super nice dude. We mentioned him in today's episode, actually. We have a little chat about him um, once we'd finished recording as well. Um, it's a small world. It really is. But um, big love always to Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Uh, this podcast wouldn't have happened. Um, none of my, my, my life in the world of the podcast industry, whether it be Pop Bible, Hardcore Listing, Acceptable in the 80s, whatever. None of these things would have happened if it wasn't for old Pippikins. So um, I always like to... To show the love, he's uh, he's a good guy, and uh, I don't need to tell you that. You all know Pippi's. You all listen to Distraction Pieces. Yeah, absolute, 
absolute gentleman as well. Big thanks to you lot for just being bloody nice. Absolutely bloody nice. I also want to thank the Blue Murder Club because the team at Blue Murder Club, which is an incredible podcast, it's a true crime podcast, and I have to say thank you because they've took up some of the production duties on this podcast. So what you're hearing today is produced by the team at the Blue Murder Club podcast. So go check it out. Um, whether you, Well, it's, it's a real who's who of uh, truly awful people uh, as, as the subject matters. Needless to say, it's, it's, you know, it's about true crime. So, um, But they do it real, real kind of uh, with, with, with a little cheeky smile as well. And there's some, some, some real bits of comedy in there as well. So go check it out. It's the Blue Murder club podcast who have been doing some of the production uh on off the beaten track so huge uh thanks to them uh and i think i'll tell you about the, the, the patreon stuff at the end um let's get on with today's chat so please enjoy off the beaten track podcast with boston manor it's off the beaten track podcast on the distraction pieces network with me stew with him Okay, we are recording. Henry, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, mate. Doing really well. How are you yeah, doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Henry, we always start this podcast with uh, with the same question, which is track one. And I'm going to ask you, please, mate, to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro. you got a wicked accent, by the way. I love that accent. Well, I'll tell you what, Fuck mate, me. that don't happen very often. <laughs> 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 oh man, that's cracking! That big fan of accent. Really? Love it. Oh yeah. See, it, it's right. really weird because like Essex is a it's a strange accent. It's uh, it's kind of like the the arse end of London, and yeah, it's not got all of the kind of colour and glamour that that, that a, a good Cockney London accent's got. It's just kind of like I don't even know. It's it's really weird. Like, I, 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 I find it a bit of a warmer accent than the Cockney accent, like, uh, you know, particularly in Essex, and it kind of spreads down into Kent a bit, but that's yeah. not like, I'm not proper estuary accent. That <laughs> no. I've, I've got mates in there, <laughs> mates from like uh, broad, broad stairs yeah. that have fake, fake Essex accents, yeah. but I love it, right? Yeah, it's really, because broad stairs, that's down, am I right? That's down near Margate, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. all getting gentrified down there now, isn't it? So I'm told. Yeah, yeah so it's, I've not been there in a number of years, but it certainly wasn't gentrified last time. Oh, I was mate! When I used to, when I was growing up, and I used to get sort of taken to like Margate on holidays. Like, don't get me wrong, it was the shit because it was like two p penny machines and stuff like that. And then I think going back there when I was about nineteen, I was like, oh, actually, this is really horrible. Uh, <laughs> and then now. Loads of my pals have like moved down there, and it's like it's absolute hipster central now. Yeah, well, that's what I was hoping would happen to Blackpool, but we just don't have the benefit of like being. Obviously, you got that train line that takes you straight into London, yeah. Don't you? So it makes sense for people that want to work in London, but we don't really have anything comparable. Really, I suppose Manchester, but people live in Manchester. Yeah, you know what I mean, it's weird, like because where where Essex is kind of on the train line into London, and. And what's happening in London is it's got to come out east. It's got more and more kind of the, the, the poorer, cooler area. The, the poorer areas are now the cooler areas. And I'm reckoning in about 15 years' time, it would have pushed further enough up the train line that like, hopefully like my ass would be worth another 15 grand more or something like that. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Well, I live in I live in Salford. I just bought a house this year in Salford, and I was thinking, ah, oh, you know, one cheap as anything, because all I could afford. But I thought, oh, you don't know, one day it might um, it might be the same sort of thing. But uh, yeah, that's not happened yet. We've got about one uh, one tap room, and uh, that's about oh, the only sort. Before of- you know it, mate, there'll be a couple of vegan cafes, mate, and you'll be up there, mate. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. I want that fine line before before it's full of full of twats. Just yeah. that in between. Well, that's bargain. that's kind of Margate. Margate's weird. You've got like kind of like some kind of like really kind of hipster sort of uh, vegan cake shop, and then like you've got like a tapas and like a second hand vinyl shop, and then you've got like three or four cash converters, and it's like it's like <laughs> the vape shops and the cash converters as long as they're still there do you know what you know what the fuck is the deal with a vape shop i was literally like where i live is is, is not a particularly you know great area and uh people love a vape shop where i live and like, what's the deal like how i just don't get it that to, to open a shop can't be cheap and like mm. how often do you go and buy some juice for your vape it ain't like you're getting through 20 fags a day is it I don't know. I mean, I've never been a vapor, yeah. but I, I mean, people in my band are, and they, they razz it. So, what, they they um, love a vape shop? I mean, I don't know. I think, I don't know where they get it from, maybe online or something, but they go through the little, whatever the, the, yeah. whatever the things are, they go through them pretty quickly. I don't know. I suppose, I suppose it's the same as anything, isn't it? Like, I was one of our phone shops. There's, there's like 12 in, on the, the street at the bottom of my road. There's like 12 in one road, and I think, they're right next to each other. I think, how are you all... How I don't take my phone to these places. How 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 are there this many? Of them? And also, I reckon I get a new phone every two and a half three years. Mm. Why do you need ten shops in one road? Yeah, I don't know. But I'm an iPhone. It's all these people that are, are rocking the Android that they can upgrade this and 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 do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're a bit analog them phones. Yeah. Whereas iPhone, it's like taking your car to the dealership in it. Yeah. It's the only thing, only place that they can fix it is there. Yeah. But these are like a bit more cowboy operations. I kind of respect it. Yeah. Maybe who knows? I don't know. Maybe it's more punk to be Android now. Maybe I'll go go Android yeah. and set my phone to one of these spots. <laughs> Some people are. Anyway, sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> one of the greatest stars yeah. of this podcast ever. <laughs> um, the, the first song. What was it? The first, the the song of the greatest. Yes. Season. So I'm going with, and this was a very easy decision. Wow, that's uh, interesting, because everyone says yeah. this is always the hardest one. Oh, I think it's no contest. For me, right. anyway, uh, Living is a Problem Because Everything Dies by Biffy Clyro, which I don't know if you're familiar mm, with that song. It's a big one. Oh, yeah. It just has the most intense intro, and it's a bit smarty pants as well, which I like. Uh, and it, it I, what, what, what an incredible intro to a record just immediately grabs your attention um and they don't always do the full version of this live i went i saw them at download uh last summer and they did and they they did like a sort of um light version of it which was still really cool but that full version which just it goes on for like two two minutes or something wicked i have i have this weird thing with 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 biffy and i have it with muse as well that like they're they're two bands that are like nme bands and kerrang bands and that's a that's a hard thing to cross over and like and and to be able to kind of tick both them boxes and i really liked um like was it vertigo bliss the biffy album with like questions and answers and stuff i thought that was really cool it reminded me like idle world and stuff like that and then 
And I don't think anyone really bought that record. I'm not just trying to be like, cool, indie kid, I was into them before anyone else. But like, then they've become this huge band. And the same as Muse. And I don't really get it anymore, right? And and I'll tell you what, right? But I'd never seen them live. And I, I was lucky enough to blag like a plus one on me pal's invitation years ago to the NME Awards at Brixton Academy. And... He was standing there doing a press thing, and I was just his plus one standing around like a spare prick at a wedding. And like, and there was all of these like people that I was recognising from like on my favourite bands. I think fucking, this is mad. Like, look, I'm seeing blah blah blah. And then I just see this fella, and normally the guy from Biffy Clyro, shirt off, Beach Boys tattoo on his chest, like hair all over the place, like just looks like a proper grimy rocker. And this fella walked past me with like this quiff and this suit on, and I was like. I honestly think I've just seen the most handsome man on the fucking planet. <laughs> and then it dawned on me, I was like, that's that dude from Biffy Clyro. <laughs> and I was like, mate, give that boy a side part in and eat different level. He was like, like looked like a model. It was like, and I don't, He's a handsome mate, guy. like, I don't generally, it's very rare that a man will stop me in my tracks and I'll stare and just think, my God, that's a looker. It was like, oh, my God, that fella, he's a proper handsome boy. And then they played. And I've never heard such a big sound from three people. It was fucking ridiculous. And I was like, yeah. I get it now. I get why people love this band. And it was... Yeah, it is a big sound. Isn't it? Huge. It's probably the... The kind of biggest, uh, largest sound because I, I don't think they have because a lot of times you'll get bands that have like the little secret main yeah, yeah, yeah. inside you. I don't think I could be wrong, I don't think they've ever had that. Yeah. And it is just sort of wall of sound, yeah, it's huge. Out of three people, which is really impressive. And they all sing, and it's a they're incredible band. Yeah. And I think interesting thing about that band is they've they've and, and it's been a bit of an inspiration for our band actually, they've, they've definitely gone through like multiple sonic shifts mm. and there's been different eras to the band and my cousin my sort of musical education early musical education at least in guitar music came from my, my elder cousins i don't have any older brothers or sisters and they're about uh, between like eight and ten years older than me so they put me on to biffy who they it would have been that sort of black and sky but yeah. bliss era when i was like i don't even know if i was a teenager at this point but they they were kind of showing me these records and um yeah, spiky, weird, mathy, but it kind of blew my head off. I hadn't heard anything anything like yeah. it. I mean, it was pretty original even then, but um, you know, I hadn't even heard any of the music that was informing that stuff. So it, it was it was nuts. And then they sort of I, I started going to festivals and stuff, and they've been such mainstays. Yeah, all of the main UK festivals for years, haven't they? Uh, like Reading and Leeds and stuff when I was like fifteen or whatever. But you said download so, as well because they cross over. Like that's an interesting point, isn't it? Yeah, that is rare that bands can do yeah. that. But it, the, that only revolutions record and puzzle, which this song's yeah. from, just just masterclasses in in my opinion in how to make a massive record that is loved by all that is still has moments that are just utterly bizarre and and really yeah. unusual, which is like this track. I just I think it's it it like rocks literally in in the traditional mm -hmm. sense. And it's got all these twists and turns that you just don't expect. And I love that. I love kind of being sort of surprised in a song. Yeah. And just even subtle things, when you expect it to go into a chorus and it goes into something yeah. different. Just little things like that, I think. 
it just keeps you on your toes. I love and it. And it does. And, and the fact that like they're such a huge band, and, and you can say the same for Muse. They don't do the predictable. You know, you just think, oh, hang on, that just took a tangent. Like, and, you know, they're still one of the biggest, probably one of the biggest bands in the UK. It, and, and I just think it's really weird that, and I think it's great that bands out there don't have to write to a formula, can still kind of fuck with it and come up with these different, like, kind of twists and turns and be hugely successful. Like, and I think a lot of that mm-hmm. is testament to the fact that they built that following early doors and then. 100%, especially in the case of Biffy. Yeah. Like diehard, lifelong, lifelong fans, you know. And like I say, it's been hugely informative for us. You know, we try and a lot of times we'll have kind of referred to their model in, in sort of a sense of how to do it because we're all about kind of it's a marathon, not a sprint, and and building building a kind of a following and and a, a I don't know a, a, a kind of universe for ourselves to kind of live in and exist long term. Yeah. Rather than kind of chasing chasing the shiny thing, and I think they're a perfect example of a band that have just they're never going anywhere yeah. do you know what i mean and, and they've made the mark on the on the musical zeitgeist at least in this country yeah. in, a, in a huge way for guitar music absolutely and they still write six songs that that I, I won't pretend to love every biffy record but that last last one they they just put out recently is fantastic yeah. like I, I i jammed it the other day i was like this is brilliant yeah. i'm gonna ask you now to tell me the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you please um, it, it, this was a tough one, isn't it? Because emotional impact. I remember, remember hearing kind of songs uh, on the radio and stuff that my dad had playing in the car. Uh, he was never, and he'll attest to this. I'm not, I'm not doing him a, a dirty by telling you this, but he was never the most sort of uh, musically informed or, or like or bothered about music. Yeah. Uh, well, at least when I was growing up. Uh, it's a funny story. He uh, he got his car nicked once from our driveway when I was a little kid. He w- woke up to take me to school, like primary school, and he was like, "Someone's nicked my car," and then stolen his his Ford his Ford Escort, but they've thrown all of his cassettes out the window. So he's never blessing. Uh, th- there wasn't that kind of like amazing vinyl collection that was handed down to me where I sort of got you know fell in love with with music so a lot of it was kind of sort of bouncing around on the radio and i sort of started to think about some of the, the first tracks that i kind of went out of my way to to listen to and and when i first started kind of like i'd say properly listening to music and really falling in love with it was when i was probably about 10 or 11 um, and it was the very very start of like mp3 players it was like the non-brand like weird shit ones yeah. that could have like 20 songs on them um so I had one of them, um, and you know it was like kind of the other days of like LimeWire and things like that. Uh, but I remember um, falling, and I got one of the first albums I sort of like um, bought. Oh, this is another question, so I don't want to confuse the two questions. Th- this was the first song that I remember, kind of not just really enjoyed listening to, but it kind of like really hit me in a different mm. way. And I was kind of always into just when you're ten, it's just like, well, what's the craziest shit you can yeah. listen to? You know, so. It, it it wasn't necessarily hitting me in an emotional sense other than it was just like this is sick yeah. you know just crazy rap music and metal and all sorts of wild the, the wilder the better but um there's a song on the, the big outcast double album uh speaker box and the love below and there's a song on the on the love below section which in my opinion is the best section 
um that's half and it's called take off your cool um and it's it's got nora jones on it um who's a beautiful singer and it's just an acoustic guitar and there's this like rain sound in the background and, and it's a duet and it's it's absolutely beautiful and i was probably like 10 when i heard that song i think it came out in 2005 or something um so maybe a little bit older maybe, maybe 11 or something but i remember just being like whoa and it was kind of the first time where i just had like i can't do this now because it just melts my brain but i used to just like have like repeat button on and i'd listen to a song just you know walk into school or like on the bus or whatever just like over and over, yeah. and, over and over and over and over again and uh if that was a vinyl that i had i would have like worn it out yeah. you know what i mean uh, but it's a beautiful, beautiful song, and I I still listen to it all the time. And I've actually realised I've I've like nicked a little melodic elements from that song over the years and put it into into songs of my own, just just subconsciously, just because yeah. it's such a sort of formative track for me. That one. It's an incredible album as well. It, what? And they never really did it. You know that it it was like a a, a, a genre that a, a, an album that defined an era almost massively and. And then they never really did that much after it. They did one more record. They did the movie, and then they just kind of sailed off into the sunset. Kind of, kind of sick, really. But what a record! Yeah, like just absolute dudes, and yeah, kind of really messing with genres. And and yeah, on on paper, that record shouldn't work. If you took that to a record company now, and I got this idea, they'd laugh you out the building. And like, yeah, absolutely. But there's you got all this like all this kind of like bebop stuff in yeah. there you've got like proper like boom bap like east coast hip-hop stuff in there you've got all like the atlanta influence and then you've got like pop music and country music it is like all over the place but it's so cool and i really like the idea that they lent into the kind of like mixtape yeah thing. and that's kind of why it's a bit yeah. jarring and it, and it works but it. yeah blew, blew my head off i went I, I went and um it wasn't the first like physical uh, record I bought but I went and I remember because it had like, the parental advisory sticker on um, and I've always looked young for my age so when I was 10 I probably looked about 3 years old and uh, and this woman um, at Woolworths wouldn't let me wouldn't let me buy it so I came I, wait, I waited around the store I was just kind of skulking around the things and I waited till she went on a break and there was like a younger lad that was that took her place and then I ran up and tried to buy it from him and he let me let me buy it <laughs> Oh, that's incredible! I just obviously being like well old, like I missed that. Like by the time them them kind of stickers come, I think the first time I saw one of them stickers was when NWA dropped straight out of Compton, and I think I was probably about fifteen, sixteen then. So I didn't have to sort of stress too much about it. But I just never consider that that like kids are getting like ID to buy records. <laughs> it's kind of only affected my generation, yeah, because. Now it's so ubiquitous, like swearing in music. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like my neat, my um, brother in law, like he doesn't really bother about sort of censoring music that his like kids mm. hear. They're quite mature for their age anyway, but he'll, he'll, he won't fuss too much about that. But it was that weird, uh, what were they called? There's that weird thing in America in the 90s. Um, oh, and it was all the parents of, it was like a, it was like a big, uh, like a polit social political organization that lobbied to have all these albums censored, and they were trying. They were they went after Marilyn Manson in a big way. They were trying to have them like. Well, they 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 absolutely um, went for for Manson, didn't they? Because they thought that the Columbine course, uh, school yeah. killings uh, were were, were yeah, triggered yeah. by them listening to 
Marilyn Manson records. And mm. Marilyn Manson, you know, if, if, if what you read is, is said to be true, has done some pretty dark shit. But, like, um, but what I did like in that documentary, the Michael Moore film about the Bowling for Columbine documentary, is when they, Michael Moore says to him, if you would have had an opportunity to talk to them to school killers, uh, what would you have said to them? And he just answers, I wouldn't have said anything. I would have listened to them. And I thought, that's a fucking cool answer. Like, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, he has a long history of, um, he, again, yeah, for all his faults, mm. absolutely not trying to glamorise yeah. uh, that guy. Um, it's pretty, pretty terrible and, and really bummed me out because I grew up on a lot of his yeah. music. But um, especially in the 90s when, I'm trying to remember the name of this organisation. They were, they, were, they were really famous, but it was always on like uh, talk shows and on like the radio, the the like news night and stuff at the time. And they would always get him on and he would always outclass yeah. it. He was really good at kind of just making them seem what they were, yeah. which was really unreasonable. You're not talking about the religious family that like that go and pick it like the uh No, no, no. I've I've run into them. What? I met them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They I, they came and picketed a, a warp tour that that we did one year. It's it's in is it Kansas City they're in? I can't remember, but uh whatever city we were yeah. in rolled. Roll, that was we rolled through their neighborhood basically and they all came out and picketed it and um we all kind of like just went and we didn't even we didn't go and like a customer or anything we just kind of stood and we're like this is so weird because we obviously we've seen all, all like the loose yeah of thing course yeah, so loads of people were there and it was really funny um um but that is, is it hailstorm that pirate metal band um, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Out, they were on the tour that year and um so obviously the um what was the name? I can't I can't even remember it all of a sudden. It's um I'm not doing very well at this, am I? But they they have that sign God hates. I'm not gonna Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well they've got a sign yeah, that God hates okay. everyone or anything pretty much. Exactly. Yeah. That's like their famous yeah. one. So uh, this band, this band had God hates pirates and they were just using it and they printed a load of t shirts and sold like thousands of them on that day. It was brilliant. Everyone's walking around with these God hates pirates t shirts. Um, and then someone else just had one say, bring back the McRib. I thought it was really funny. But yeah, <laughs> uh, the, the yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, very strange. But uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll remember the name of this stuff, uh, probably at three o'clock in the morning yeah. tonight. But they, this, they're all over the, you know, any interview you see with these uh, parental advisory things, it was really pushed by this, this, this group. And I remember it was all through sort of the late 90s and early 2000s which was when i was like buying buying cds it was like really hard to buy a parental advisory cd and my mum just bought into it so she was just like you're not having that <laughs> i remember my, my cousin um the aforementioned cousin who got me into like a lot of cool bands yeah. does not like hip-hop still doesn't so i didn't really know about anything but i was big into it at the time when i was like 10 11. so for christmas he was like he's like oh i just went to hmv and just said what's like a good hip-hop record at the moment uh, and he bought me, um, uh, it was Method Man's Teakle album, Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, and it has like the world's biggest parental advisory sticker on it. And to be fair, it is pretty explicit. And my mum, I'm just like jamming it in my bedroom. My mum walks past and she's like, what is this? And who got you this? I was like, oh, Owen did. She was like, well, you're not having this. Took it out and took it off me. And they moved out of their, the house that I grew up in about three or four years ago. Uh, I've obviously long since moved out, but they came. <laughs> my mum, <laughs> when she brought a load of stuff around to my house that was just like in the loft or whatever, she's like, do you want this CD, by the way? I found it at the back of my closet. It's been there for like a decade. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take it, actually. So I burned it on my computer like it's 2005. Oh, but, quality. Um, 
But they were a big thing, those pedal advisory stickers. Yeah, yeah. It weren't just hip-hop at that point, though, was it? You know, you've got, like, literally new metal was just popping off then, wasn't it? You know, you've oh, got yeah. your, you know, all of the dumb shit Fred Durst was saying. I'm sure there was parent advisories all over half of that. And, Definitely. and yeah. We, we put one on our second album as a bit of a homage to Nice. Even, I mean, there was obviously a couple of songs with, like, I swear we're yeah. in, but it's not exactly really explicit but just because we just are all new metal kids growing yeah. up on like corn and the biscuit and deftones yeah. and all of that slipknot we would it was just like a little bit of yeah. a it's weird isn't it it's like, i think time's been kind of the, uh, over time when you look back at that 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 point and I, i've i've long run a, an alternative um venue and 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 i've done for pretty much 30 odd years and so you know we, we was having playing that music when it was happening at that time and and you know you, you can't sort of explain just how big bands like Limp Bizkit were and Slipknot, and but I think as time has gone on, you've seen the bands that are still kind of playing in the nostalgia tours, like Limp Bizkit, and then you've seen bands like um, Deftones just become incredible and more incredible, and just constantly just develop to the point where they're making essentially shoegaze records and like dream pop mm. records and and just uh, i'm a huge huge deftones fan and uh, my, they're uh, like my favorite oh band. man like uh, uh we like so i got to see him i hadn't seen him uh since i was like a teenager and i got to see we played uh, a big festival in germany this summer and i got me and uh, my car guitarist who's also a massive deftones fan we got to go watch him and uh we watched about two songs in sort of you know from the back with a pint and then we were like should we just like go in? So we went like right to the barrier. Like I was like a teenager again, and we were just like jumping up and down. Like oh, it was so good. And they're still sick. Oh, they sound amazing. So good. So good. I got to speak to the drummer on this podcast. And uh, and for me, no one's got a better snare drum than him. It's just like yeah. on, on that early stuff, just that the way that snare drum popped, it was like, oh, yes. That's a big part of that new metal sound people don't talk about a lot is that is the like the kind of um, – it, and I think it comes from kind of like a lot of the hardcore, like uh, East Coast hardcore stuff from like the 90s, that real kind of like poppy snare. That's what everyone always hates on it, but I always love that St. Angus snare because I love the kind of basketball Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Them, that uh, like, you know, it's iconic. Yeah, it, the start of massively. Who was the producer that produced all of that new metal stuff? What was his name? Uh, Terry Date, I think. No, there's another one. Scott Terry Date did uh, the Deftones stuff. Um, oh, uh, Ross, Ross Robinson. Robinson that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, he did all the corn. Yeah, corn yeah, yeah, stuff. yeah. Okay, right. Let's go to school. Tell me the track that soundtracked your years at school. So I'm going with this one, uh, and it was a hard one. This it's very formative years, and really, really getting into everything music for me, particularly. Uh, to an annoying level, I just obsess over it. But uh, I'm going to go with uh, Sorry You're Not a Winner by Enter Shikari, which, yeah, there you go. Clap, clap, clap. That uh, 2007, that, that uh, well, it was on it was on like a demo EP before, before the album came out. But that came at a time when it, I was young enough to kind of catch a first wave of something that was truly underground. So, this hadn't been informed really by like even something like Kerrang or, or you know, a music publication. I'd caught this from like MySpace 
people sending it around on MySpace. So it really felt like me and my friends who loved this this early Enishikara stuff were onto something that, that no one else knew about. And I went to go see him uh, play like a like a it wasn't quite a pub, but it was no bigger than about 200 cap, you know. And I remember the sweat was actually dripping from the ceiling, one of those gigs where it like uh, condenses on the ceiling. And it was absolutely brilliant. And the kind of mix of sort of prodigy style uh, electronic music with with the kind of like screamy stuff that I was into at the time was uh, obviously it's quite polarized in any way. But for me, at that particular time in my life, it married all the things that I was really into. Yeah. Um, and that track is obviously like so good. still so pretty iconic. Like everybody knows that song. Um, and we actually got to play uh, like the 10 year anniversary of that record. They did like a couple of shows around it um, and, and they got us on a support, which was mint because I got to just watch them play that whole record, which, which I thoroughly enjoyed. But at that time, um, you know, I, I wouldn't go on to say that it, that song was particularly informed the music that I play or even the music that I still listen to, but it, it just reminds me of being in like house parties being about 15 16 year old with a bottle of white lightning or something you know going mental and going to all these like little gigs and and you know people or driving somewhere you know your mate's got his first course because he's old enough you're a year younger yeah. or whatever and he's got the table and da, 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 da. and the recording was dead shit which i yeah. love like it, it sounds a bit shit but that's what makes it really great and let, let's let's shout out the video because uh, the video to that I was you know I was probably like oh, I guess I would have been like 30 by the time that come out but uh, and what way too old to be a kind of scene star uh, but I remember seeing that video and just thinking this sounds really different and this looks really exciting and oh yeah and I, and I think like the Deftones I think they've they've just they've just done their own thing and it's fucking batshit at times but it's always fucking great and like and also the nicest people ever like they're just so so nice and uh yeah got got nothing but love for 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 that band and that track it's just still it gets played every friday in my club and you will see kids that are 18 now and they're Still doing it, and oh, it's yeah. like, it's awesome. yeah, it's uh, I've, I've literally just got goosebumps doing that, just thinking, <laughs> picturing the kids going mad to it. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Deal. And what's that? 20 years old now? Well, it's 2007 it came right. out, I think, 2006 and So, yeah, getting getting there. Crazy. It's, yeah, it's iconic, isn't it? And, and I think that, you're totally right. It's a wider point of like bands that tread their own yeah. path. Is, uh, there's, there's something amazing about that. Because it doesn't always go the way you want it to when you do yeah. that. You know, sometimes, especially bands like that, that got, got kind of an early big, big win. Yeah. It's hard, that, I think, because you, you've kind of got to maintain that. And you are then going to have something precious to sort of do the same thing again or or conform to to what is big in the league that yeah. you're in at that point which is almost the mainstream at the time when they were big they were doing you know cover of enemy and and really doing sort of like big rooms and things yeah. for for such a band but i think they've like you say they've done at times utterly bizarre things in terms of like the music they make and i think that's why people absolutely love them and why they're still they've never I don't think they've even really plateaued. They've definitely never, never dipped at any point. They've just had a steady trajectory of success, and it's because they've, they've like, never really conformed to anything other than what they want to do. And I love that. And, and even when they blew up, you know, choosing their support act to be Rory's brother, Pedex, who's just going to play. I remember that. I was at that tour. Like, yeah, just going to play no drum way. and bass. And like yeah. it was just bananas, and it was like such a cool thing to do. Like, yeah, love it, love it. What a band! They played. Um, they, well, it never happened, but it was supposed to play uh, at the Empress Ballroom in Blackpool. I mean, all my mates went down. We all had tickets, uh, and we were queuing up, and there was sound checking, and then the roof collapsed, and then uh, they had to call the whole thing off. But they hung around like all night, just signing shit, and in like the lobby. Um, because there's like loads of different rooms to the Empress Ballroom yeah. and they hung around like signing shit and playing acoustic stuff and lovely people. That's what you yeah, want from your pop stars, isn't it? 100%, yeah, right. absolutely. Love it, love it. Right. First song you remember buying from a record store, please, mate? Well, it's an album, but uh, Hybrid Theory, Lincoln Park. Uh, first record I ever bought, still holds up to this day. Probably... At least top three new metal records. Yeah. May, maybe the maybe the best in terms of like through and through new metal. Just it's it's kind of a pop record, yeah. Isn't it? Like the, Hugely the on it. Hooks coming out the wazoo, uh, just brilliant, but so hard. I remember um, uh, the the cool kid in school uh, in primary school, Mike Simmons. At the time, he's really good at football and he's really tall. So, uh, you know, he's, but he's a, nice, he's a nice kid. He wasn't like the mean, cool kid. Uh, he um, he had like a, I think he had like a Walkman, like a CD Walkman. I remember him showing it me in the change rooms uh, in primary school. And it just popped my little head like a grape. I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it because I never heard anything like it. Um, and then I asked, I, uh, so I say I bought, I asked for it from, for my birthday, I think, because um, I would have been, nine ten years yeah. old um and it probably been out a couple of years at that point but yeah phenomenal and i still listen to it all the time it's uh like 
when I got your list sent over, uh, I went and pulled up Hybrid Theory and, 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 and you know, I mentioned in me, me club again. Even now, you can drop any of the singles off that record and like, and kids still sing every single word. It's like, oh, yeah. it's, it, it's just, it's, it stood the test of time. Uh, a lot better than, I think, a lot of them other bands from that era as well. Yeah, it's, it's aged really well. The production on it is is like stellar, which for a first a debut album yeah. for for like a new metal band in the nineties is is probably the only one really. Yeah. Uh, and yet, even like the even like the album songs, everyone knows. Yeah. Like, I think it, it's just wall to wall. I always remember that weird it's like track eleven, that weird like interlude, like scratch track that they yeah. have was really, really bizarre but i always liked that mm. as well i remember like bouncing around in my grandparents like spare room listening to that all the time as a kid i love it and now i now i like cover it in band practice and bounce around my own band it's great love it i want to just go back to school before we we, we get on to the next question and uh and what did you want to be when you was at school i wanted to be an actor okay i did i did a lot of it as a kid i was like a child actor um, so I used to do like just like school plays and stuff, but then um, I I went to like a sort of sun like a Saturday morning like uh, acting, you, you know, j- just just where you send your kids on a Saturday morning to, to get them to do something. It was just in in the middle of Blackpool, um, and I really enjoyed it. And then because. Manchester's obviously nearby and it's it's where a lot of the the like well it is now but even in, at the time in the in the sort of early 2000s it was where they used to ca- do a lot of casting for like uh, a lot of sort of soap opery British t- you know like Waterloo Road yeah. and and like all that Coronation Street all that kind of thing and uh the the sort of owner of the of the acting school was like oh they've got these auditions coming up for this for these things if, if you fancy like you know they've asked for a couple of kids so we thought about sending you down if you wanted to go and i was like yeah, yeah okay yeah um and i went i went for something i can't remember what it was but i didn't get it but um you know my, my I, the another one came up like the second one and it was like this this film um with it had like michelle collins in it if you remember mm-hmm. it and i got the part and it was like it was like a whole summer of of filming um and it was this this short film um, called The Illustrated Mum, which was a uh, Jacqueline Wilson. Yeah. Remember that that um, uh, is, a, is an adaptation of one of her books, um, and it ended up winning like an Emmy and a, and a BAFTA and all this stuff. Uh, and it was it was wicked. I really enjoyed it. It was like a whole summer, and it was like all because it was all it was a kids film. Yeah. There was loads of kids, made loads of friends. I had a wicked time. I, it, it was it was it was filming all around Salford and stuff. Ironically, where I live now, but uh, like all around my neighborhood now yeah um but also uh got to kind of experience just sort of like people doing creative stuff for a living and i really enjoyed it and i went on to do more stuff after that but i didn't really enjoy it as much because it was just i found it to be quite sterile like i liked acting because we used to do like plays and things like that and you know you'd have like people in the audience and you kind of like react with them um and I, and I quite enjoyed that element of it, uh, but I never really enjoyed the um, the the sort of you know okay we can do it again now from this angle yeah. and then you can do it. You know, it was very very sort of like I say sterile is probably the only word I would use. So I, so I did that up until I was about thirteen, and then I just stopped doing it. I just kind of lost interest in it really. Um, 
but that's what I thought I wanted to do at the time. And then I think latterly, obviously I did enjoy the kind of performance. I mean, I fell in love with music by that point. So all I really cared about was like hanging out with my friends and, and being in bands and stuff. But I think the kind of performing in front of a crowd obviously left a bit of a, an impression on me because it's what I yeah, do now yeah, for yeah. a living. So you're a confident kid? Really confident, yeah. Annoyingly, so, sorry, my phone's just going, man, I'm just going to mute it. Um, annoyingly confident, to be honest. Like, my mum always tells me that I would, age three or four, just be, like, chewing the ears off all the adults at the, you know, the Christmas party sort of thing. I just always had a, a big gob on me, really. And I think I think just my parents were, were really good at just kind of, like, asking me what I thought about things and just talking to me like an adult, really, from being a kid. So I just always used to enjoy talking to people and, and hearing people's opinions on things and, you know, having, having a discourse about yeah. stuff. So I think I was quite confident. Yeah. I mean, I suppose I had pretty traditional kind of um, standard insecurities from, you know, puberty onwards yeah. as, as everyone does really. I, I struggled with high school a little bit, like the change there um, to, to sort of big school and things. And um, I had like uh, ADHD and, um, like dyspraxia and things which were quite challenging um but but pretty confident yeah, yeah. I, i've always been quite lucky in that in that aspect yeah. tell me the song that soundtrack your years clubbing so i i initially put uh a song um it was by chasing status because i remember that being on a lot of the time oh, it's a good one um, yeah it is yeah and i, I went I, I i being from blackpool it especially I mean, I caught the tail end of it, but in the nineties, it was like a huge clubbing destination. We had like the only super club outside of um, London, um, which I managed to get sneak into once when I was about fifteen. But things were quite lax then, and I used to borrow like mates' IDs, and I used to go clubbing from being about at least sixteen, maybe even a little bit younger actually. Um, and it was it was great. I really enjoyed it. Like I I didn't really know much about dance music, and I was really into just like metal and punk and stuff at the time. But it was just everywhere. It was just kind of what you did. Um, but I was I was going to say actually the the song actually I've, I've changed my mind is um, I wanted to to talk about was uh, Heartbroken by T Two. Mm-hmm. That is so indicative of the music that was coming out of every crap little bar and every club in the north in that particularly in that period of time when I was going there sort of, you know, the, the very early 2010s and, and the late 2000s, just baseline at the time in the North of England was just everywhere. And it was, it was like that track particular, obviously ended up doing like big top 40 mm. stuff. That song, so you couldn't get rid of it out of it, off the radio for, for a long time. But that kind of sound was just, just reminds me so much of, of being very wet behind the ears. Yeah. And, and you know, having having a having a, 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 a VK or whatever the fuck they're called, um, <laughs> a, a wicked, you know, and, and just bopping around in my, in my, in my shirt, um, sweat sweat me head off. Um, yeah, I I just I, I loved it, and all the kids in my school were quite into like house music and stuff, and I didn't I didn't really get it, but I, I think going going out in a club environment, it kind of contextualizes yeah. it a lot and I could really enjoy it. I, I wouldn't go home and listen to it, but when I'd be out, it'd be, it'd be loads of fun. Would you, was you getting exposed to kind of, was there any sort of like rock clubs or anything like that in, in the area? Yes. And anyone from Blackpool that's over the age of about 
18 will tell you there was a club it still exists now in, in a sort of not very good sorry um sort of reincarnation of the original one but there's a club in blackpool called the tash which existed from i think about 1978 until um about 2012 uh, and it was um it used to be called barney's so it was a bizarre bizarre sort of it looked derelict and it was just by the train station so it was sort of off a little bit off the beaten track of like the main kind of clubbing strip as it were in blackpool um it's sort of near like all like the industrial yeah. you know red light districty kind of rough part of it um but it was good really because all the little weirdos like us all the moshers used to kind of were out of the way then because it, it you know it's saturday night in blackpool quite I don't want to put anyone off, but especially back then, it could be quite quite a, a rough spot. And if you had like long hair and a fucking fringe over your eyes, you're a bit of a target. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's been out of the way, really. And it used to be called Barney's this club. So inside, it was like um, the Flintstones. That was like the decor Bedrock. from the old club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it had all this kind of weird, fake like rocks and stuff on the wall, and all these weird murals of of like the Flintstones. But they just left it like that because it was weird and it was just a rock it was two floors just a rock club and it was it was definitive it was where everybody went um and yeah i think they used to have gigs on in there but i never i never saw any there um and then sadly they, they've sort of developed the whole area now so they knocked it down and there's like a giant like uh sainsbury's there now unfortunately and they've, they've done a, like a little sort of second version of it above above a pub uh that's been there for about 10 years but but at the time that was i mean every town kind of has one don't they that like the rock club yeah. where you go to uh, and they and the, the nice thing about them is they tend to last yeah. like well you said yours been open for how long did you uh, say we've been open 38 years man that's insane yeah, yeah that's wicked and every other club tends to have a much shorter mm. uh, half-life really but like the satan's hollow in manchester yeah. has been open for for at least two decades yeah. you know and, and because there's always going to be that demographic of yeah weirdos like us that want to find that little safe spot 100 percent, 100 percent. well look we're talking about home so i'm going to take you home for track six uh tell me a favorite song from an artist from your home county please well um, i'm a bit embarrassed about this actually why is that because i uh i kind of couldn't find any i, I and i even googled like you know, artists from Lancashire. What you got? Was like, what was on the list? I was actually, I'll look now, hang on one sec. It was, I knew the Buzzcocks are one of them. Oh, um, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't put them in my top, you know, my, my, my top list, but a good band. Um, bands from Lancashire. Let's have a look, shall we? Um, uh, the Puppets, the Nolans, um, Section 25. The Stiffs, a band called Witch Hazel. Mm -hmm. That's about it, really. There's got to be more. I mean, we're not on there for one. Um, but yeah, I, I can't. I couldn't really find any. And I a thought, slim pickings. It is really, isn't it? it? It is. But there's some really great bands now. So the band that I picked is there's actually two bands that are. Um, one of them is a band that I grew up with, and they they were a fantastic band when we were kids. And they've kind of reincarnated as a new band now who are amazing the really really cool things called strange bones um and then it's featuring um a band called calv louise who are actually from venezuela via blackpool they all live in blackpool now and and the two bands kind of like operate and share 
they're kind of one machine you know what i mean they're kind of, they kind of like do each other's artwork and videos and produce their own mu the, the music together and stuff uh which is really cool and then they both, both collaborated on this track which is called nine lives which is just brilliant but um they're they're pretty inspirational and the the, the band strange bones was three brothers and um when we were kids they were a band called outlaw they'll probably be mad at me for telling you about this because i think they they cringe a little bit because they were on blue peter when they were like 10. Shut up, always, like, <laughs> this big on them uh, but they supported like rancid i'm going to talk with rancid they've toured japan wow when i was in, like year eight they were off going to japan to to, to do this to play rebellion and did like national tours it was super support i think they supported the buzzcocks actually yeah um Sham 69, you know, all sorts of stuff like that, UK subs. Um, and they were playing like proper like proper British, like snotty punk stuff. Yeah. They were pretty like, they had like mohawks and like the, the proper, proper like old school little shrunken, you know, like you put a load of like yeah. 97 punks in the wash. It was great. Um, and then, yeah, then they kind of went off and did their own thing and went to university or, or, or I don't even know if they did whatever they did but now now they, they're a band called Strange Bones and, and they they marry kind of like again sort of like through and through punk with with uh, sort of like Prodigy style electro yeah. and dubstep and stuff like that and they do it really well in a very unique way that's, that's their own um, and Calv Louise are a really really cool band as well who are actually coming on tour with us um, later on this year and yeah this track is sick and they're for my money the, the best two bands um in blackpool at the minute or at least in, in in lancashire that i know i was trying to get away with thinking of a manchester band yeah but then i thought manchester hasn't been lancashire since 1972 so i don't think i can really yeah. get away with that yeah you got they're, they're spoiled over there like yeah of course they are but, uh, it's such a such a rich why do you think that is why are there so many so many amazing bands from one city henry that is why i started this podcast this podcast was going to be in a very different format uh Hence, it's called Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I wanted to speak to people because but one of my best mates is, a, uh, is an actor now, but he used to be a, a rapper and he's a podcast called Scroobius Pip. And, uh, and, oh, and yeah. this come about just through, like me and Pip run clubs together and stuff. And, and I was chatting to Pip and, uh, and he lives in Essex, like literally just up the road. And, uh, and he was like, in every interview at the moment, people just keep asking me if I'm like living in London. And like, and he's like, no. And they're like, oh, well, like, how come? And he's like, oh, I quite like Essex. And it's like, yeah, I know, but like <laughs> London. He's like, and so I, I thought it was bizarre that because we've got other bands from where we live that like, like the horrors and things like that, that just relocated straight to London. Oh, yeah. And like, and I find it really intriguing as to why people feel to achieve success, you have to move to London or as you said Manchester like because I'm, I'm sure there's there's you know if you can afford to live in London then I'm sure there's you know there, there's probably benefits to being that central to record company buildings maybe and and scats that are, are going around the venues but is that a little bit 1990s does that still work like that now we live in the internet where unfortunately people are also scatting bands that have got x amount of tiktok fucking hits or whatever do you know what i mean it's like i don't know but that was the, the kind of idea that it was That's really interesting. it was it was going to be based in essex to start with and i have to speak to all the bands that i know from around here and actors and whatnot about why essex why have you not moved like 
into the capital mm. or, or you know and, and I just that was the idea and uh, but then I started getting presented with opportunities to speak to people that weren't from Essex I was like oh shit I'd really like to speak to them like <laughs> so the podcast <laughs> kind of evolved but yeah I, I, I don't know and you look at like you say like taking nothing away from where you live you, you you've just pulled up that list and you know section 25 the Nolans you know the buscocks who I thought were from from Manchester um and then you go across to Manchester and my god where where do you start and stop you know from the roses yeah. to the mondays to oasis to new order to the smiths it's like it's ridiculous and like and that, you right. know and and that's that's just kind of indie like you know. that, that was a, a big thing for our band actually it was one of the main things that we wanted to do was just play shows outside of we play shows in london yeah and we kind of had to 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 start it was like our third of a gig we uh we got like an old royal mail postal van and converted into like a band man and drove down there and and because nobody would take any notice of us up here like you couldn't get anyone to to pay attention and people had no idea where we're from and you know we'd be getting sort of things like oh can you just come down to london and and do um even when we start to get some traction you know we get like our like a manager we had at the time you come down to london and do this six hours mate yeah like yeah Oh, you actually live six hours away. I'm like, yeah, yeah, and, and you know, it, it's it's really really far away. And I I I think luckily now it is becoming less and less of a necessity. Yeah. But yeah, we've we've never like sort of bought into that. And and there's a lot of bullshit sort of music industry kind of schmoozy stuff. And and a lot of there's sort of bands that kind of really thrive off that and love kind of going to all these like industry parties and award shows and stuff. We've never really felt comfortable in that environment. But you know, each to their own. But I do think it is weird that there's kind of a necessity. I mean, ironically, I live in Manchester now, but but I'm, the rest of them all still live in Blackpool, and I'm there, you know, nearly every day anyway. But there's there's very much like a kind of urge to sort of move to a to a major city, but it's pretty unaffordable to live in these cities. Like it, it makes sense that you would stay in somewhere like Blackpool, and and because the rent's cheaper, yeah. and you can you can spend your time actually creating and stuff. It's, I've never understood it myself. But funnily enough, there is actually quite a lot of famous people from Blackpool. Like uh, Robert Smith from The Cure's from Blackpool. Or was born yeah, in Blackpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, The Cure aren't from Blackpool. But yeah. But yeah um, I, do you know what one goal of mine actually was? I used to live in Stockport. And as you drive in, you'd see the sign that says, Welcome to Stockport, home of the blossoms. I thought one day, I want to be big enough that there's a Welcome to Blackpool, home of Boston Manor sign. And Does it honestly my, say my home of the blossoms? Yeah, yeah, it's got the band logo on it and everything. Wow. It's yeah. Oh, mate, we it, need to get the Prodigy on Welcome to Essex. Yeah, uh, definitely. Why have we not got that? Pretty sure the Prodigy erode that at this point. Well, they've got, they've got to have Braintree. I mean, Basildon, you've got the big Basildon sign like on the side of the road. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen this. We've got a place in Basildon, um, and basically... like, But Basildon is literally the, the next sort of little town to where my club is, and it's... Uh, it's a pretty bizarre place, but Depeche Mode are from there, and uh, oh, and right. so they're, they're they're like you know we're fiercely proud of, of of them, and on the side of the road alongside the motorway, you've got the words Basildon like Hollywood, like and it's <laughs> fucking surreal. Uh, and behind that, you've got the, uh, the the center where the clubs and that are, uh, which is called Bas Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm such a big fan of that. And I do think, I do think um with you know, we started this conversation talking about Margate and how that's become yeah. like its own spot now. And I, I do think with the way that um sort of everything's going with the economy anyway and 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 just kind of 
I think that I think it's a bit nineties like going to move into the big city. I do think it's gonna be really cool for like places like Basildon yeah. and Blackpool. People are gonna kind of stay there and and, and make it sick. I hope so. You don't have to go somewhere else, you know. And Blackpool's definitely getting and getting a lot better. We've got some cool little venues now which we didn't have and you know, like a, a little pizza shop and just lots of little independent businesses that are opening and I love to see it. It's wicked. And and it's so weird. You look at like I, I look at actors and, and and I've got friends that, that you know that wanted to be actors that come from where I come from but couldn't not have a day job so they couldn't go yeah, yeah. to all the auditions whereas you're seeing lots of the actors that are now some of the biggest names in in, in you know in UK film I can tell you for sure there was not anybody called Benedict Cumberbatch at my school <laughs> <laughs> you don't see many people called Darren like uh, smashing it in Hollywood at the moment, but uh, but I do think it's it's like if you can afford to, to to be able to sustain living in London and being you know a, a struggling musician or a struggling actor, like I think you need to have somebody financing that because you know and and I think that's yeah. causing problems for the music industry and the arts in general that it, you know it is. A very becoming quite a privileged scene and and it is uh, and that's part of a wider conversation and, and that's a brilliant point is that i i always say you know it's becoming like a a, a middle class privilege really mm. is is being especially a rock musician because there's so much involved so much cost involved yeah. you know you can't just sit and make it at home on your lap well some people can yeah. but you know you need studios you need equipment you need transport um, and you know, we were lucky enough that when when we started out, our parents let us live at home rent free for like three years. Yeah. You know, and not many people afforded that luxury. Yeah. Um, you know, we were on tour all the time. To be fair, so you know, I'd come home for a week, be like, "All right, mum," and then off again for however long. Yeah. But you know, it's 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 not everyone has that has that privilege, and we're very very lucky to have had that. And um, you know, we were by no means rich. Yeah. We're still not. Yeah. Uh, but we we definitely weren't funded by anybody yeah. but we were just had the ability to live off nothing yeah. which not everybody does yeah um and yeah i i think that's why you know people talk about i i see all these these you know oh, fucking um people like i don't know bono and and the just or, or what's his face from the who people like Roger that Roger Dolce, they don't make rock music like they used to. You know, people don't make rock music anymore. I'm like, because they can't fucking afford to, man. Yeah. And they don't get paid. They don't get, you know, million dollar record deals and they don't get to just like not do anything else. Um, you know, like I, it's kind of, this is uh, my full time job. But I have a second job now on the side because I can't live with my mum. I need to pay the mortgage. And, um, you know, I, I we, we do all right. You know, I, I could probably scrape by without having it, but. And I know it's unlikely that unless you get to the complete upper echelons of of the musical landscape that you'll ever be like really comfortable on just just music alone because it, it just it, it just isn't that the pie is much smaller and the big you know there's there's only so many slices in it these days so it, it's it's just a reality really so if you want to continue you kind of just need to be a bit of a hustler um, so all my friends in bands do like stuff on the side. Or they have a second job or yeah. something because you need to. And, and I think Bono is quite short-sighted in Safara's. Uh, well, Safara's a lot of things. Um, I actually don't know if it was him that said uh, that. So don't quote uh, me. I was just using an example. But, um, the thing is, it's like for, for anybody that's you know an established 
musician from decades past they need to look at the industry now and for somebody if you even to use you two as an example so they had moderate success with that first record moderate success um in ireland and, and the uk uh in the island in england sorry um if that was a band now that put their first record out and they had that level of success, maybe there's a chance the record company might have very, very push give them a second record. You mm. two didn't blow up big until, what, I guess, Joshua Tree. So what's that, album four, maybe? Like, that's album four. You yeah. know, that, that's a lot of nurturing and support and money thrown at them, you know. And I think in this day and age, unless bands smash it with that first record now, if you're signed to a major record label, you ain't getting that second album. It, you know, it's it's no. so ruthless no. now. And well, the problem is, is that in the 90s, there was a real kind of like, and I, th- I think it was only a, a product of circumstance, but there was a, a real uh, culture within the major record labels of like the hotshot A&R guy, and there was there was a, a lot of clout about you know who could kind of like break the coolest band. So they were really nurturing, you know, weirder for lack of a better term, weirder acts, and and really giving them artistic room to breathe. Um, and, you know, and you had bands like Radiohead, who to be fair, it's probably a bad example because Creep was just an enormous hit on yeah. the first record. But you know, bands of that ilk that were doing really unusual unusual things and and being given big sums of money to do it you know you look at like i suppose a better example would be like some of the creation record stuff um that was just being you know loveless i think was given one of the highest budgets ever on an album yeah it's quite a weird record i, I love yeah. it but but there was a culture then of that of, of kind of you know if you could have the coolest band then you had sort of value um but now it's more just about it's more analytical it's more about like physical numbers and what can stream the most but the problem is is that you've created certain channels with which to grow that audience so what you're doing is you're funneling all this sort of product this art into these like much narrower channels that can only reach audiences a certain way so you're kind of homogenizing music to to tick these certain boxes and and you're kind of making people operate within a certain framework so you're sort of like jamming a load of squares into a load of circular shaped molds really and and a lot of the best art comes from kind of weird people to be quite honest that they don't really really want to kind of sit there and make tiktoks and become a kids a children's entertainer children's tv presenter um but you're kind of having to become that in order to just service the wider goal of getting your art out there and it's just kind of diluting everything really i mean i know you know i know everyone knows this but it's just kind of not really talked about enough i don't think yeah I had a guest on the other day um, who's a, a, a pop writer and performer and and she said a word that really kind of jarred me. Uh, not not in a negative way, but just like, oh, that's the thing, is it? She went, like, she went yeah, you know, if you like, you're writing like a TikTokable song. And I thought, shit, is that, yeah, is that a thing there? A TikTokable song. But then, you, but, but you look like this is, uh, I think just to go back to what you said about creation, uh, and using like the Valentines as an example, that's a great example. But I think that's testament to 
the culture around independent labels then as well. And because whereas if you would sign to Sony and your record wasn't, you know, recouping what they'd spent, you're gone. But whereas I think creation, if, you know, if you, I, I've seen a few of the docs and, and I've had McGee on here and, you know, and he said he'd, he'd be like, right, okay, uh, let's just license Teenage Fan Club in America. And like we'll get a bit of money for that, or let's go and send Swerve Driver out to America, and we license them, and then that can help pay for that. And it was like, it was always like robbing Peter to pay Paul, and and like whatever it took to get this stuff out, and and the hustle, and I love it, and and I think yeah. that I don't know how much that that um that still exists now. I know I know that um Alan's Alan still got um creation under sort of several guys he's you know for the, the management and stuff and, and and he's putting music out and and i look at you know i've had the guys at transgressive on the podcast and transgressive are a great example of, a, of an independent label you know that that from way back i think the first record they put out was subways i believe uh and then seeing you know how they've evolved and what that label's become and you know it's i do think that the underground scene, whether it be metal, whether it be indie, whether it be whatever, I do think relies on them kind of mavericks at them labels that that are still and yeah. coupled with just really fucking forward thinking, progressive, creative young people that I'm realising I sound like quite a granddad when I say this, but like but that that are jumping on, you know, jumping on a Mac and making music and, you know, putting their records out and doing it themselves you know i think that whole we're certainly going to see in the coming years of you know the cost of living that people are going to get more and more diy like we did in fucking lockdown you know everybody was like right what I, I love it. you know what i mean I love what, it. what have i got at my disposal i can't do this i can't do this i can't do this so okay what have we got let's see what we can do with that and that i think you get yeah, yeah. you get really interesting shit from that it's fucking brilliant like and you look at like we made like half a record on, on our in on our Macs remotely and it was great you know it, it, it's just sort of a, a new way of, of approaching a new way of problem solving really but you look at bands like Bring Me The Horizon who've made like you know Grammy nominated number one albums on on a, on a MacBook yeah. uh, with nothing else yeah. uh, and, and it can it can definitely be done 100% and I think going back to your previous point I think independent labels will always be the home of of interesting um, interesting music generally uh, you know whether whether it's stuff like the creation record stuff to to even like sharp tone our label who are who have been up and pure noise our, our previous label who have both been absolutely brilliant and have, have championed some incredible records over over the last decade um and and the thing with them is i think is that all these indie labels is that they've got more skin in the game they've got more to lose you know they're they are taking like they're, they're only like three three sizable investments on a on a bad album away from just collapsing yeah. really you know which so, is insane right <laughs> yeah it's, it's mental their margins are really thin. yeah like they have tiny you know pure noise you still talk to those guys all the time i saw them the other day they're, they're fantastic and, and they put out some of my favorite records um uh, which is yeah they're, they're sick um but they um I th they've i think last year they had something like 30 bands on their roster and there's about five people that work for the the, the label you know they're, they're working hard and that's a labor of love isn't it yeah that exactly that's what i'm trying to say so it's, it's a true labor of love and uh, i love to see it man and it's it's how you get you know an apex twin to sell uh five million copies because <laughs> yeah. people won't take chance on weirdo music like yeah, that and i love it absolutely right last track 
Tell me the song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear. What did I pick? Oh, yeah. Uh, Three on a Match uh, by a band called Foxin, um, who are... Sorry, sorry, give me just one second. Um, who are an amazing band from America. I think they're from Atlanta, I'm not sure. But um, this track was is just a very, very gentle, pretty song that ends a record with. Um, and it's a sort of like one of those tracks, I think, that a bit like some of like Jeff Buckley or like Elliot Smith's music, where even if you're not really dialed into that world and you play it your mum or someone, they'll just be like, wow, what what an amazing yeah. song. What a well-written, beautiful piece of music. And it's, it's one of those. And um, I did like a little piano cover in lockdown just on Instagram. And I, I, it's such a simple song. And often they're the best, aren't they? Just two or three chords and a lovely melody. And that's all it is. But it's, it's a lovely way to close an album as well. Very, very gentle. Well, it'd be a lovely way uh, to close the playlist because we put one together to accompany the podcast with all of the songs that we've we've spoken about today and, and obviously we'll put some uh, of your music on there as well um so lockdown's a thing of the past and uh, um and gigs are happening festivals are happening normal services resumed pretty much what's happening for the rest of the year mate pretty busy um we are our album's out in just under two weeks now on the 14th and on that day, we start uh, a UK-Europe tour supporting Alex on Fire, which is going to be dead exciting. Um, yeah, I listen to them a lot as, as a teenager, so I've been looking forward to, to seeing them play every night. And uh, and we're also doing like a bunch of HMV and uh, in-stores and a banquet in-store as well, just so every day, wherever we are in that seat, we're doing an in-store and a signing. Um, so I'm singing for my supper that week. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and then, yeah, we have uh, we have some shows at the end of the year, which I'm um, not allowed to announce mm-hmm. yet. But the details of that will be coming very soon. So keep your eyes peeled on our on our social media if you if you're into the band um, and you're listening for that stuff. But yeah, uh, and other than that, this is only part one of a double album that we're making. The the second part is is being developed currently so that's every day i'm kind of tuning in with the boys and, and getting to work on that and that's kind of an ongoing project really so um you know we're never we're never we're never idling we're always working but i love it it's it's very lucky to call it my job and um i i never ever take it for granted you know lovely and if people want to keep up the speed instagram facebook twitter yeah all on there all the standard stuff you type in boston man you'll you'll find it um but yeah, we do. We also have a Discord as well. That's kind of one of the the modern forms of social media we've adopted that we're quite enjoying. So um, if you go on our social media, normal social media, you'll find a link to that. And uh, it's quite a cool little community we've got going there. Everyone kind of we hang out in there and chat to people, and it's it's really nice. We're very lucky to have a, a really cool fan base. Um, so if you're really sort of into the into the music and you want to kind of keep in very up to date with what's going on, we put like you know tour dates and things in there before we put it everywhere else and we do kind of like special merch that isn't available to the wider world yeah. on that so if you want to, want to tune into that then look us up on the internet and you'll find well, it we'll tag you in everything when this comes out um henry i've had an absolute ball today mate it's been a real joy both, yeah. thank you so much it's a lovely conversation oh, really enjoyed absolute it. pleasure i'm gonna press stop don't go anywhere ah oh, what a wonderful chat um massive thanks to to henry um really enjoyed that uh, got to speak about enter shikari and deftones and and lots of bands that 
I don't really get to chat about too much, and I love those bands, and I would definitely point you in the direction of checking out um, my chats with um, Raoul. Uh, from Off The Beaten Track and I've had Deftones on the podcast as well um, so go check uh, them episodes out why not explore the whole of the back catalogue there's 450 episodes with some of you if you like your rock stuff then you can hear me talking to Tommy Lee and Motley Crue Foo Fighters Mastodon um, gosh where else do I go with this um, God I always draw a blank and there's 450 episodes um, but yeah Loads and loads of rock bands, all of your kind of favourite indie stars from Sleaford Mods to Idols, uh, Suede, um, Vaccines, they're, they're, they're all there. Um, and yeah, if you like your acting talent, then I've had a real kind of who's who of um, Brit royalty. Um, you can hear me chatting to Maxine Peake, Joe Hartley, Michael Smiley, Mark Bonner, um, Thomas Turgoose, the list goes on comedians such as uh, James Acaster, Ed Gamble, Maisie Adams, Jade Adams, stacks of them, and they're all great listens. So uh, what are you waiting for? Get over there and and, uh, and explore that back catalogue for free. And if that's not enough, check out me Patreon. You get a lot of bang for your buck over there. I put out video episodes each week, so if you like to watch your podcast, you can watch them all ad-free. I make little radio shows. I do live shows. So I do one a month. I'm actually doing one tomorrow, uh, which won't be tomorrow by the time this comes out. Um, but at the beginning of the month, I always do one where I turn up on Zoom and all the Patreons can join. Camera on, camera off, however you want to, you know, however private you want to be. That's fine. You can just kind of lurk in the shadows and watch. That's absolutely fine. But let me keep your hands where I can see them. Um, and yeah, and then what we do is we pick a track from the podcast. Uh, and so the first episode we done last month was obviously song for the greatest intro. Everyone brought their intros along. We all had a big old nerdy hangout and chat and uh, and about music, and it was absolutely lovely. And I'll be doing that tomorrow um, for the song that you, uh, the first song you remember having an emotional response to. Uh, I record these as well, and so uh, it is your opportunity as well to feature on an episode. Um, so yeah, and essentially. It's going to cost you $1 a month. I know times are tough at the moment. I, I'm fully aware of that, you know. Um, it works at about 80 pence a month, so it's 20p a week. And, yeah, it just goes in the pot to help cover the cost for production to keep the two free weekly episodes going. And, uh, and yeah, if you can uh, stretch to that, um, just go to patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track. Or your one-stop shop for everything is the website off the beat and trackpodcast.com I'm back next time be nice to each other see you soon bye bye